So the big question is this, how are real estate investors who don't have a ton of free time, don't have access to off-market deals, and didn't start life on third base? How do we grow a real estate business conservatively to support our families, finally leave the corporate rat race and build a legacy? That is the question, and this podcast will give you the answers. I'm Ed Matthews, and this is Real Estate Underground. This is the Real Estate Underground podcast show number four. Greetings and salutations, Real Estate Undergrounders. How are you? This is your humble host, Ed Matthews, and I'm with my favorite partner in crime, Mr. Ron Faraci. Hello, Ron. How are you, sir? Hey, Ed. How's it going today? I got to tell you, you got quite a radio voice going. You missed your calling. Uh, well, I have a face mate for radio for sure. But, uh, <laughs> nice, right? nice. Uh-huh. nice. So we are very happy to welcome Oz Pariser, a real estate investor who is exploding right before our eyes, not physically, but euphemistically and financially. So we are really fired up to have you here today, Oz. Thank you so much for your time. Thank you for having me, Ed and Ron. I'm, I'm excited to be here. Yeah, cool. So maybe you could just give our audience a little bit of background on who you are and what you do, and we'll go from there. I'll start back at the beginning. I was an only child, single mom. We struggled financially. We were on welfare. We were the people that when you donate to food drives and you give cans and things like that, we got that kind of stuff. But that's where I come from, my background financially. I watched my mom go through school and become a doctor of chiropractic while taking care of me. And she was an incredible model for me. But before all that, I was starting to become a troubled youth, really. And uh, then I found martial arts. Mm-hmm. I found Kyokushin Karate, which was finally a place where I could hit somebody as hard as I could and wouldn't get in trouble for it. <laughs> so right. that was big for me. And that really changed my life completely. Through that, I met my karate teacher. I actually moved up to Connecticut to live and train with my karate teacher, Shian Fujiwara. And that's how I ended up in Connecticut. Ended up going to the University of Hartford and going through the doctoral program for physical therapy. So I went to college for seven years, got my doctorate in physical therapy, graduated with $120,000 in debt. Oh, yep, yep, yep. Because at that time I was young, I didn't care. I said, pile it on, I'll pay it. Doesn't matter. Didn't, right. didn't really think ahead, right? So I graduated and I just felt trapped. Yep. And I realized like I had to find a way out of the rat race. Didn't even know it was the rat race back then until I started reading some books on it and realized that's what I was trapped in. Just healthcare in general is a really difficult industry to be in. Like you give of yourself a lot and and there's a cap on what you can earn really as an employee, like as a physical therapist, insurance Mm -hmm. companies are only willing to pay so much. So there's only going to ever be a certain amount you can make. So when I found that top cap pretty quickly and after that, I was like, yeah, there's no more room for growth. So I can't stay in this industry. So My first foray at being an entrepreneur was I got an additional designation in a field called electrodiagnostics, neuroelectrodiagnostics, where I actually like record the electrical activity in your muscles with little needles and things like that. Anyway, long story short, I tried my hand at a couple of businesses, but found out that still it was based off of me and my skill and my time. Eventually I found real estate and it just felt like this magnetic pull when I started realizing that 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 was actually something I could do. Right. Uh, to make money. So I just felt this magnetic pull and this voracious need to learn everything I could about real estate at the time. And that was in about 2014, 2015. I started wholesaling, a little bit of flipping, became an agent. So I bought and sold and brokered deals. That was like five or six years of that. And then throughout that, I kept my job the entire time. So I was, like I said, I'm a physical therapist, was a physical therapist, but I was working in home care. So I would drive to people's houses in between appointments, I would get a little work done. I would be on the phone on the way from one place to another, talking to sellers or whatever it was that needed to be done. 
Yeah. So my goal was to get out of debt, build knowledge, build my network, my connections, my capital, and then transition to buy and hold and quit my job. And then I ran into Ron in a Starbucks one day. Starbucks in Middletown, Connecticut. I remember right. I recognized you because we used to train jujitsu together. Mm-hmm. Well, that's, that's not really true. We trained at the same place. You're on another level than I am. But I actually recognized you from training before. We just struck up a conversation. Yeah. Yeah. And it was uh, very fortuitous, right? Because I was at a part of my real estate career where I was really looking to transition into the buy and hold side of things. And that's your specialty. So it was, it was right. good. So now my focus is to acquire large multifamily properties. I raise their value by improving the net operating income. Uh, yep. And I finance it to pull back out my initial investment or the investment of my investors that I have short-term partnerships with. Yep. So basically, if you've heard of the Burr method, it's like that, but for larger properties. You hit a word, Oz, that I think more people need to embrace, and that's the Burr. And everybody thinks of the Burr as a flip, and so to speak, or not so much as a flip, it's meant for rentals, but what people don't realize about buying... Yeah, exactly. But what people don't realize about multifamily, when done correctly you get the benefits of injections of cash along with cash flow because a flipper would say, oh, I like flips because I get big checks. Well, we get big checks too in multifamily, but we get cash flow while we get the big check. And so you're yeah. doing it right. And I think that mentioning Burr is important for our listeners to understand what that is and how you can be into these things with little to no money at the end of the day. And those big checks are tax-free. And that's oh, exactly right. Yeah, oh, I love Government it. Government your yeah, partner, absolutely. not your vendor, right? Yeah. That's right. Excellent. And, Excellent. You know, absolutely. I kind of waited. I had opportunities along the way to buy a single family or a duplex here and there, but I, I always just, I had it for some reason in my mind that I wanted to go bigger when I did make the transition because economies of scale, for one thing, you right. sort of insulated from some risk. And it's easier with commercial when you're up at that five and six plus units in the commercial space, it's easier to have a direct influence over the valuation through the net operating income. You're not as at the mercy of your neighborhood as you would be with a single family, for example. Right. That's so true. Yeah. What you said is so true because in single family, we're reliant on our neighbor's values, right? I mean, so it's a comp base. So you can control the value by maybe putting in stainless and a white picket fence. But at the end of the day, your neighbor is really determining your value as opposed to commercial multifamily. Our NOI determines. So you can have a large control over the value of your property, which ultimately controls how much money you can pull out if that's your strategy. Right on. Sure, there's still cap rates and and prices per unit that appraisers are going to take into account. But the the main driver of value is still going to be that the net operating income. So that, you know, that's what drew me to that. And my long-term goal is to own at least a thousand units. And I'm sure when I get there, I'll have no interest in stopping either. But that's the long-term goal. (laughs) Wow. Good for you, Oz. That's terrific. Thank you. I'm going to stop when I'm financially free. Well, define that, right? Financially free with a 3,000 square foot house, financially free with a 5,000 square foot house on the water and and a car collection. I mean, define done. Yeah, it's Uh, never over. That was my first goal was financial freedom, right? And thank God I was able to achieve that. And now the goals continue and get bigger. And I think that's what makes us human, right? We're always looking for growth. And that next, so true. Next so, so Oz, when you say you reach financial freedom, how do you define that? What was your definition of that? Did that mean your bills were covered? I mean, can you dive in what that means to you? Sure. Anyway? So 
along the way, I had pared down my expenses while I've been on this journey, right? And I've figured out what my freedom number was, which was if I take all my monthly expenses, including entertainment, including restaurants and having some fun, right? All my monthly expenses, what's that number? And can I get my passive income up above that number? So if my passive income exceeds my, I mean, ultimately it's very simple. My passive income exceeds my expenses. I'm free. I no longer have to work for anybody right. else or against. That was what it was. And then from there, you just want to keep, if you want to grow your lifestyle, you keep growing your passive income. Right on. So tell us a little bit more about your business. You said you're heavy into the multifamily. I know you've got a handful of deals that I personally watch with admiration and salivation. So <laughs> I'd like our audience to hear more about that. Sure. No, thank you. I actually just closed on a nine unit in New Britain on Monday. So that's fun. So I'm running around like crazy this week. Of course, there's that initial busyness from the turnover and everything. Sure. Uh, sure. The transition period. But my biggest deal was actually my first one. And that was this 18 unit apartment building on the West end of Hartford. So on Capitol Ave and Ron, you were very involved with that one. You helped me, you gave me the confidence to help take that down as my first deal. Cause I don't think I, it was a confidence thing, jumping from wholesaling and flipping up to an 18 unit. 18, that, that's a big first step. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, uh, but you made it happen. Yeah. You made it happen. Thank so you. yeah. Good for you. So yeah. Tell us about that deal a little bit. I think the audience would really love to hear that because right a lot of people can relate to, I don't own anything. And, oh, wow, this guy bought 18 units. That's his first deal. So tell us about that deal. With little or no money, right? Out of your pocket. Yeah, well, that's how it ended up. I did have to bring some capital. So I'll explain. So initially, yeah, I found it on LoopNet, believe it or not. I think wow. a lot of people Where say- deals go to die. Yeah, exactly. A lot of people say there's no deals on LoopNet. And it actually had been there for several weeks. And I kept coming back to it. Like, And I brought it up to Ron a couple of times. And I was like, I don't see how this is not a deal. I keep looking at like the price and the units. I don't see how it's not a deal. Can we go through this? It looked like a deal. So I kept coming back to it. Eventually, I was like, you know what? I'm going for it. I reached out to the seller. We negotiated. That one was interesting because the seller was kind of shady. He refused to share like any information, really anything, <laughs> like any bills <laughs> I asked for. He hid one of the units from us, which was supposed to be a one bedroom, turned out to be a studio. And it was like, is that where welcome they to Lab? Is that yeah. where they kept the meth lab? Or That's where that, the meth uh, lab was. And the, the yeah. unit was okay. not livable at all. We had to redo it. But these are the challenges that you come across. But everything ended sure. up working out. So I purchased that. It was listed at $990. Purchased it for $900,000. Essentially cash. I used hard money. So I used my own capital and some lines of credit for a portion of the down payment. And then I ended up partnering with somebody in a short-term capacity to bring the other part of the down payment. And what we did was... We structured it so that they wouldn't need to take a second lien. Instead, they took like partial ownership of the LLC, but then they would be off the LLC once I paid them back. Yeah. So I paid Great. him back his initial. So long story short, like a year of turnover and improving the management. There was, like I said, a lot of cosmetic renovations that needed to be done. There were two evictions that needed to happen when I took over the property, some vacancies that needed to be filled. There were already some agency tenants, so like subsidized rents and things like that, not just Section 8, but other agencies. And I really leaned into that because with that area, it's not an incredible area. Even though you would think it's right on the border of West Hartford, but it's still Hartford. It's not an amazing area. So comes with its challenges, but I really leaned into the agency aspect, was able to get what I consider to be above market rents and reliable rent. It's in your account even before the first every month. You have nothing to worry about in that regard. So you're yeah. locked in. And so even when the pandemic hit and stuff, that didn't hurt me too much. 
So like I said, cleaned out the building, improved the management. I've added security cameras and better exterior lighting system to keep people safer and things mm-hmm. of that nature. And we're able to raise the value of the building after refinancing it appraised or at the refinance, it appraised at 1.35 million. So we, Fantastic. Raised, we raised the value of the building by 50% in a year, basically. Which yeah, is awesome. excellent. So, yeah, excellent. So you were able to, when that pig went through the Python, if you will, bad analogy, pig goes through the Python, it's a year later. And listen, you had a lot of learnings from that year, putting it mildly. Oh, yeah. But when it was all said and done, were you into that building for any money out of your pocket when after the refi? So after the refi, very little money out of pocket when it was all said and done. So yeah, had this 18 unit property and probably about the same money out of pocket left in the deal as a single family home, you know? Yeah, excellent, excellent. And if you don't mind my asking, you don't have to give me exact numbers. Does that 18 unit, did that achieve your freedom number? Yeah, essentially, yes. yeah. We, One and done, just, they call that. Yeah, just about like, just about. Off by probably 500 bucks a month, but I was able to make that up easily. I'm also, okay. like I said, I'm an agent, so I still broker deals here and there, and that easily made up the difference. And then the next deal I did exceeded the freedom number. So we've, we've nice. exceeded. Yeah. Excellent. So when you went through the one year, I'm going to call it stabilization of the Hartford property. Okay. So did you focus on expense reduction, revenue raising? I mean, was there a strategy or is it just all together? It just needed everything. So it was all together. The initial strategy was to split out the utilities actually. Mm-hmm. And that would of course reduce the expenses. But what we ended up finding out was that the way this building's heating system is structured, it would not have made sense to do that. But what ended up happening was the fact that I was leaning into these agencies and having a lot of the agency tenants, they wanted me to include utilities in the rents anyway, and they were paying high rents. So it ended up working out. So I was able to raise rents from, for example, one of the units was like $700 a month. We got that up to $1,100 a month. So wow. yes, utilities were included, but you know, heat and hot water and electric and cooking gas, but you already had to pay heat and hot water because that was central anyway. So we were able to raise the income significantly and we, we did reduce expenses here and there. I added a smart control system for the, the boilers that was able to adjust the temperature, the water temperature here so that you wouldn't be spending too much on gas. So that reduced the gas bill during the winter, which is obviously a big bill. So mm-hmm. that was one of the ways- For 18 units, yeah. yeah. Yeah, gigantic bill, right? For sure. Yeah. But yeah, the main thing that, that drove the NOI was the uh, raising the, the revenue. So Oz, okay. do you manage this property yourself or do you outsource that? So I self-manage still. I figure I can do that pretty efficiently until maybe I get over 100, 150 units. Yeah, I don't spend a whole ton of time, a few hours a week on all my units right now as a whole. But then also there's time that goes into finding new deals and, and all the other things. But sure, actual straight management, like say for that building, just a couple hours a week. Okay. Yeah. And so what does your team look like? So what does my team look like? I've got an attorney. Of course. I mean, these are people that I've met over the years, right? I've got my trusted attorney that I work with all the time. I've sent him deals over the years and he'll look at things for me if I need him to. And then of course he does all my closings for me. I handle a lot of the stuff myself as far as like, well, I've got contractors and things that will go out and do plumber, electrician, HVAC, right? Plumber, electrician. Exactly. I've got an accountant. So all the bases are covered, essentially, just people that I've met over the years that I trust and I know, they know my situation, and I can trust them with advice and things like that. 
Have you aligned yourself with an eviction attorney, anything like that? Yes, I have. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. I have an eviction person to know. Who's separate from my main real estate attorney. Right. Yeah. She's a rock star. I don't know if you want me to you know, drop names or anything. You can, you can drop names. She's been a CTRIA speaker. Uh, Yona Gregory. Oh, we know Yona well. Absolutely. Yeah. Yona is we a all rock use star. Yona. We all use Yona. <laughs> rock star. She gets it done. So I use her. Yeah. Buying investment real estate is both thrilling and sometimes stressful. Without a lending expert by your side, most investors don't stand a chance. That's where CTRIA funding comes in. CTRIA funding was founded by investors to help investors just like you fund their deals. Whether you're buying a single family rehab, an apartment building, or really any investment property, our team will understand your deal and help you close quickly. Go to CTREIAfunding.com or call us at 860-876-0572. So it sounds like you've got a, and obviously you and I share a mentor in Ron. The reason I'm invested in multifamily is because of Ron and his wife, Cecilia. But I'm curious, from an advice perspective and mentorship, what's the best advice you've ever gotten and gave it to you? I have two pieces I want to share there. One was actually from a book that I've read. Okay. And it was, every action you take is a vote for the type of person you want to become. So for me, that's like some of the best advice I've ever gotten. It basically means like, for example, every time you go to the gym and lift weights, that's a vote for telling yourself that you are a fit person who cares about their health and their physique, right? Right. And that goes both ways. Every time you skip the gym, that's a vote that says you're not that. Every time you smoke a cigarette, that's a vote cast that you're a smoker, right? So over time, if you smoke a lot of cigarettes, you've now voted enough times that you've created this identity of being a smoker. Using that piece of advice, I think it allows you to look at your daily life and look at your habits and think about the type of person you want to become and the type of person you are becoming and see if those are aligned. So that's one of the best. That's excellent. That's outstanding. What book was what book was that? If you don't mind me asking, that book is called Atomic Habits by James. Oh, okay. One of my yeah. favorite books, and yeah, if, if we check that out books today, I'll definitely expand on that a little. But yeah, it's All right. a fantastic book. And then one of the other best pieces of advice I ever got was when I first started real estate. I found a guy who I went through with the people that I know, and I found somebody I know had mentioned real estate before. His name is Chad. I sat him down for coffee and I picked his brain. And the the biggest thing he said was find the deal. Because in real estate, everybody's like, well, how am I going to come up with the money? And how am I going to do this? And how am I going to do that? Just find the deal. Because if you find the deal, you can find the money. And if you find the deal, you can find somebody who's got the knowledge and the expertise who will partner with you and you'll make it through your first deal. Take it one step at a time, right? So if you find the deal, then you get to the point where you don't know how to negotiate the contract. Then you go and you find out how to negotiate the contract. You don't have to have all the stoplights be green before you leave your house, right? Take it one step at a time. Excellent analogy. I I agree 100%. Too many people, I see it all the time. People talking about, well, I don't have any money. You don't even have a deal yet. What are you worried about the money? Right, right. (laughs) So it's a self-limiting belief. It is. Yeah, I agree. What separates somebody like you who's a successful entrepreneur on a lot of levels and the, the person that is just dreaming about getting into this world. They think about, wow, if I could do what Oz is doing right now, I would be set. But nevertheless, tomorrow morning they're at 8 a.m., they're going to get in their car and go to work, to work for somebody else. So what separates you and people like you from those people, the dreamers? For me, the biggest thing is just taking action. Sometimes you just have to start, right? I think too many people spend so much time preparing to prepare. If you don't have any money, get out there and knock on a hundred doors. You'll find a seller, right? Find a seller who wants to sell, start the negotiations. If you come to an agreement, you need a contract, find the contract. 
get on Facebook, get into some of these groups, ask people for help. There's plenty of resources online that are completely free. Absolutely. But at a time, like I said, go to networking meetings, right? Meet people who are already doing what you want to be doing, absorb their knowledge, absorb how they're doing their business. You'll build your network, build relationships because everything is a people business. I don't care what it is. Everything is people. Yeah, I agree. Oz, you've done a great job with that. You know, a couple of years ago, I saw you on some Facebook groups. You were an agent. You didn't really own anything, Mm -hmm. but I saw you out in the the zeitgeist a little bit, but not much. Today, I see you at CTRIA meetings. You're on every Facebook group. Your name is out there now. We know a lot of the same people now. So you've done a very good job of not being a secret agent. You've been out there meeting people and people know who you are now as a result of all that. And I'm going to throw one other reason. I think you're successful. And it's a bit of a stretch, but I think you're going to agree with me. Oz, you're humble. You're, you're not going to ever say it, so I'll say it. I mean, you're a world-class Brazilian jiu-jitsu guy. And I think that helps because I'm not a world-class jiu-jitsu guy, but I enjoy it. And what I find is people that excel in that kind of thing excel in other areas of life because you have that singular focus that in your world, when somebody's choking you out, you're able to just focus on that. And I think you apply that focus to real estate. So you're incredibly focused. And I think that muscle's been being built for a lot of years. I don't know if you know that or you have any thoughts on that, but that's what I think. I couldn't agree more. Martial arts completely shaped me as a person and the challenges that you face. So I used to, before I focused on Brazilian jiu-jitsu and thank you for your kind words, I appreciate that. Before I focused on Brazilian jiu-jitsu, I was a professional mixed martial arts fighter. So I incorporated BJJ, but I was also doing cage fighting. And there's- Well, that'll probably help you in Hartford. So that's good. <laughs> yeah, you're probably pretty good at it because uh, obviously you're still a good looking guy. So no one messed you up. Thank you, thank you. <laughs> yeah, so like those challenges and the sacrifice and the hardship that it takes to fight professionally like that and to fight right. no, to, to live for two months knowing another person is training to beat your ass and you're trying to beat their ass, pardon my <laughs> language there. There's a lot involved there and a lot of sacrifice and hardship. So I took those lessons that I learned from martial arts and discipline and I applied them to real estate. And I, I honestly said to myself, if I can do fighting and martial arts the way I've done it, then I know I can succeed in real estate. I just have to put the time in. And right on. Kept grinding. Yeah. Yeah. You're using that mental muscle on both sides of that. And I think, I don't know who said it. I'm going to get this wrong. Casey Stengel years ago, hundred percent of the game is 90% mental or something. I'm getting it wrong, but, <laughs> right. but I think having that mindset, because when I first started, I had those same self-limiting beliefs. We're all human beings. Everybody starts at the beginning. We're not born with units and it's overcoming those self-limiting beliefs and building that muscle over time and just get out there. Too many people are are afraid to make a move. And I think that that helps you. So good for you. Thank you. Absolutely. Awesome. Yeah. Oz, you mentioned a couple of books earlier in this interview. And so I'm curious, you obviously read a lot. What's the most impactful real estate book you've ever read? I've read a bunch of them earlier on in my career. The first one that felt really impactful for me was The Millionaire Real Estate Investor by Gary Keller. Gary, yeah, Keller, sure. That was a big one because it helped offer this sort of broad overview and a general direction of where you want to take your real estate business. A lot of actionable tips along the way too, but it was kind of that general direction, that general guidance, that broad overview was helpful for me. But I I tend to focus a lot on general self-improvement books and overall business books. And a couple okay. of my favorite shows were, like I had mentioned, Atomic Habits. I was going to bring that up anyway, because that's yeah. one of my absolute favorite books. 
So just the general idea being our entire lives are structured, even whether we know it or not, by habits. We're creatures of habit, yeah. right? So right. we have these habits and it forced me to look at my daily habits and find out whether they were leading me towards growth or towards destruction. When you start to actually look at your own habits with a magnifying glass, you can pick apart just a single day in your life and find out whether you are on the path to growth or not. It's very, very helpful overall. And the other book that really made a huge impact on me was The Compound Effect. I don't know if you guys have okay. that. that was I don't know that one. Really big one for me. The general concept of momentum. Right. Momentum can be your friend or it can be your enemy, right? So same thing like that example I was using before. If you've been going to the gym nonstop for two months and you haven't missed a single session, you have got some strong momentum behind you now. And you are right. very likely to not miss any sessions going forward. Same thing. Momentum can work to your detriment. If you start missing one, two, and then three sessions, now your momentum has been broken and you're much more likely to miss the fourth, fifth, and sixth sessions or anything. Momentum is huge. And then the other big piece of that book that I took away from it was the aggregate of marginal gains, small gains, small improvements that aggregate over time and can compound the compound effect that combined with the momentum leads to massive, massive changes in your life. And nice. so those are the I like that. I'm a big 1% a day. I think I've seen those quotes on Facebook over a year, right. whatever. And but yeah. I, I like that word, the aggregate of those micro gangs. Mm -hmm. mm -hmm. Excellent. Those have been the most, I'd say, the most impactful books for me. So, uh, so you could do anything, right? I mean, you are a successful MMA fighter. You're a successful jujitsu fighter, as well as a teacher, I know. You were successful in your uh, physical rehab therapy business. You're obviously a success in your real estate business, as well as your investing business. I'm starting to believe you're pretty good at everything. Guys, <laughs> you got an amazing family. So what is it that makes you tick that gets you out of bed and, and motivates you? And it's part of your entrepreneurial world because boy, you got a lot going on, man. I do have a lot going on. I would say, I mean, a long time ago, something got in my mind that I just wanted to have a massive positive impact on the world. Like there was this like phrase that stuck in my head and something yeah. I would repeat over and over to myself that I want to have a massive positive impact on the world. So one of the main reasons I want to become successful is of course, to take care of myself and take care of my family yep. and, and have overwhelming abundance. Of course, everybody wants that. But I also, sure. the more successful I become, the more ab abundance I have, the more of a massive positive impact I can have on the world. So that's, I think my core driver when I was really back in the day, examining what my biggest why it's that is one of the biggest pieces and then the other pieces when i became a family man when i got a family that was right absolutely the biggest driver for me i want to take care of my family it's just this biological switch kicked on because before that i was i don't know i don't think i was as driven before that right sure or at least not as driven to create massive wealth but something switched on and i want to take care of my family in a way that they couldn't have imagined if i wasn't doing what i'm doing and i want to create right. generational wealth something that as long as nobody screws it up this is going to go forever right right I, the right. type of wealth i want to create awesome and words to live by right i very seriously tell people that i have dinner with my board of directors every night and i look into my family's eyes and know that it's what gets me out of bed right it's making sure that Mom and two daughters, uh, Patricia, Katie, and Maggie, don't ever have to worry about every, anything ever again from a financial perspective, and they can go live the lives they've always dreamed of, right? So powerful. Right? Yeah, it is. Yeah. You, you Highly motivated. You yourself, and that's great and all, but 
it's what really lights a fire is when you're doing it for your family. It's interesting. So I'm working with a Tony Robbins coach right now. And one of the things that they talk about, he talks about is the transition from growth. In other words, reaching the financial freedom number and looking around and going, wow, I'm 35 years old. I've got a lot more living to do. Now, what do I do? Is this it? I know. Or now right? what? Right. Now what? Yeah. Exactly. And the transition from growth to contribution is really what starts to accelerate you becoming the person that you were born to be. Mm -hmm. And so you're, I couldn't agree with you more. Yeah. So I'm going to put you on the spot here and ask you to tell us the details of one of you, one of the deals, either. I don't think you have any cautionary tales. The, the ones I'm aware of are all successes. So I'm curious about one of the deals you're most particularly proud of. And if you could walk our audience through that. So, I mean, the one we touched on earlier was probably the one I'm yeah. most proud of is the 18 units. Which was the awesome. first one. I mean, I would say that would be my favorite story to tell as far as deals that I've done. But how about the one you just closed? I'll do the one I closed right after that one, right after the 18 unit. Um, we closed an 11 unit in uh, East Hartford. That's a great deal. And let's see. So I'm actually just starting a refinance on that one. So yeah. we closed that in February. So we closed the uh, refinance on Capitol Avenue last September. And then in February, we closed on this 11 unit and uh, now I'm working on refinancing it. So we've been able to raise the net operating income that I, I really like that deal and that property. It's a whole different experience from my one on Capitol Avenue because it's a fairly nicer area. I mean, it's not like A or anything or even B, but it's definitely a nicer area than what I have on Capitol Avenue. Sure. Um, no, no issues there or anything like that. Haven't had to. You don't need covering fire to go collect rent, right? Yeah, ex exactly. Right. <laughs> you know, I have a superintendent over there who does a great job and takes care of everything. So it's very little of my time has been invested into that property, and yet we've been able to turn over and raise rents again from things like seven hundred to eleven hundred. So when you do that over four, five, six units, I mean, you've raised the net operating income massively, and now raised the value of the building massively, and we should be on track to even exceed. So for that one, I purchased for 595000 and we should, I won't say because it, I haven't had the appraisal yet, but we're shooting for significant gains on the refinance, right? But I, okay. I, I can't say it until it's set in stone. <laughs> right, right. Fair enough. So, you Fair know, enough. So, so I'll tell you, Oz, and I know that deal, and I know East Hartford has gone smoother, and that's because Capitol Avenue. So Capitol Avenue made you a better landlord. So right. had you bought East Hartford first, nice, smooth, you'd have Capitol Avenue would have been just a, a shock to the system. So I, I think it was really smart. And I know it wasn't by design, but by going through that experience on a rougher property, you built that muscle, I guess, and, sure. and became a better landlord. So I think that that's not an accident that the second deal is going smoother than the first. Absolutely. Yeah. I agree. And I guess we kind of found out why that property sat for a while, right? Because it's just a tough area, right? And I really did. It was yeah. trial fire. I learned so much dealing with those people. And luckily, I've created a much better experience over there at that building. And I've been able right. to turn things around over there. But it was certainly trial by fire. So now, having moved on to other properties, I'm able to take what I learned and, and use that. Yeah. So on your portfolio, can you share with our listeners, if you don't mind, what kind of software, what kind of program are you using Excel? Are you, how are you managing it in record keeping and maintenance, that kind of thing? What's that process so, look like? Rentech Direct. I use Rentech okay. Direct. That's my property management software. I run everything okay. there. And then for bookkeeping is QuickBooks. 
Yeah. Okay. Um, and I have a bookkeeper handle that, but everything that I really interface with is in Rentec Direct. For me, it's a full service solution. And I got that recommendation from Cecilia, your wife. So that, that was My very wife. She's our yep. Yeah. So, <laughs> um, so, so Ron, Ron married well. Yeah, I'm married very well. I'd rather, <laughs> I'd rather be lucky than good, somebody once told me. So within that software solution, if you get a maintenance, do they call you? Do they use a portal or is it a combination of both? And then if you don't mind, share how you would rectify that. So if you get a call or a portal, do you call your maintenance guy? Do you meet them out there? Do you fix things yourself? Can you walk me through that? What does that look like? You can swing a hammer. <laughs> so it's not me, me. Me neither, by the way. I can't fix anything. Yeah. Finally, we found something you're not good at. All right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> not a carpenter. As far as that, so uh, a maintenance request can come in either through Rentec, through the tenants have their own portal. They can put in maintenance requests there, or they call me. I have a Google voice number set up for this, and I'm following yep. the Ron Farachi systems. <laughs> <laughs> never answer your phone. <laughs> That's right. Never answer your phone, but it comes in the text, or I see the voicemail, and okay. I know it's uh, serious enough to call back. Yeah, so they either call me or they put a maintenance request in through the portal. I take that, I pass it along to the appropriate contractor, whoever that may be. Now I did at one point have one handyman that I was using for pretty much everything. And that kind of made my life a lot easier. But as things, uh, you, I'm sure you guys know, things have gotten so busy for most contractors that it's kind of hard to nail them down right now. So I've had to pivot a little bit and it's actually been good. It's been a growth process for me, find, reaching out and networking with more contractors and finding more reliable people. Cause that's one of the challenges of this business, right? Right. You asked me like who my team is. I started to think like I had to kind of rack my brain as far as the contractor side of things, especially because they can be hard to come by good, reliable contractors. But I have yeah. been able luckily to network and, and build relationships with good contractors. So I pass the pass that on to them. And I try if I can to have them handle communications with the tenant so that I don't have to be yeah. a go-between. That's a big Smart. It's a big time saver, right? When I said I only spend a few hours a week, it's because I've set these systems and processes up as efficiently as I possibly can so that I don't have to be super involved with the day-to-day. -day. Smart. And so Fair. how are you finding your contractors? As you mentioned networking, but it's got to be more involved than that, right? Yeah, essentially networking. I'm involved with a lot of landlords. So I go to groups and if somebody's willing yeah. to give me a name or a number, like I've talked to you, Ed, all the time. I talk to Ron all the time. You guys have been in the business longer than I have. So it's things like that. I just, hey, I got this thing I need done at one property and maybe that contractor couldn't do that job that day. So he connected me with another contractor and I just keep collecting them as much as I can. And then of course, getting right. on Facebook into our landlord groups, that all yep. these groups that we have and saying, hey, I have this going on at this property. Is there anybody I could use for that? And usually you'll get no. four, five, six answers. Two or three of them probably work out, right? Yeah. <laughs> right. Exactly. Yeah, you, yeah. You might call five and one might call you back at the, yeah, uh, right yeah. now in 2021. That's right. the climate. <laughs> yeah, indeed. I've got close friends that I've known for 30 years and I can't get him on the phone because he's a plumber. Right. <laughs> and I get a 10 o'clock text. Hey, man, I'm sorry. I'll try and get back to you tomorrow. We finally connect, but it's more to bring our kids together or to go have a beer rather than, hey, what do you got for a project? Yeah, no time for um, <laughs> Right. So, you know, when you're not talking about real estate and hunting deals, what do you like to do? Well, first and foremost, I love to spend time with my family, of course. My wife and I have an 11-year-old son and 11-month-old son. So watching both of them grow and being a father is my favorite thing on the planet. So that's the number one. And then of course, jujitsu is what I love. I love to train it. I love to teach it. It's my lifeblood. It's my passion. Like I said, I used to fight MMA, but out of all of those fights, I realized that my favorite thing to do was to do jujitsu. So I, I dropped the rest and I focused on what I love the most. And it's just such a complex 
beautiful art that involves both the body, of course, there's the physical aspect, but there's also the intellectual aspect. It's a very complex, deep, deep art. And that's what keeps me interested for decades now. I love it. So that's what I spend my time doing. I also play guitar, but not nearly as much as I should, (laughs) not nearly as much as I train jujitsu. Awesome. (laughs) Yeah. All right. Well, thank you very, very much for your time today. If somebody wants to get a hold of you or follow your business, what's the best way to do that? Well, thank you guys for having me. Yeah, you could find me on Facebook, Oz Pariser, or uh, Instagram, Oz Pariser, LinkedIn. I got all those. Um, got all of them. Yeah, my flipping wholesaling agent business is called Sell Your Home CT. So you can find me there, but just reach out to me on Facebook. I'm happy to talk to people. I've answered questions before people reaching out to me after I post about a big deal and things like that. So happy to talk to people about real estate. I love it. And I like to pay it forward because people like Ron and other mentors I've had have helped me without any thought of anything in return. So I like to pay it forward for sure. Fantastic. Well, Oz, thank you again. It's always a pleasure to get together with you. It's good to see you. And we're really happy for all your success and continued good fortune. Thank you. Yeah, keep going, Oz. You're doing great, buddy. We're real proud of you and congratulations on all your success. Thank you, guys. It was a pleasure. This has been the Real Estate Underground Podcast, a CT RIA presentation. Don't forget to rate, subscribe, and share this podcast with your friends. If there's a specific topic you want us to cover, post it in the comments. For more information on the Real Estate Underground Podcast or CT RIA, go to realestateundergroundpodcast.com or ctria.com. Until next time, happy investing.